When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Unheard News. Freddie Zayers. Monkeypox. Have you heard about it? It's spreading, apparently. The machinery is all beginning to whir up the advice to isolate, the statistics, the maps. So is this destined to be the next COVID is the question on many people's lips. We have someone here today who can hopefully tell us. His name is Professor David Heyman from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. He's one of the world's most senior infectious disease epidemiologists. For 22 years, he was based at the World Health Organization in Geneva. He was chief of the AIDS research program and ended up as assistant director for health security. Before that, he was in Africa for 13 years, investigating, among other things, monkeypox. He joins us now. Welcome, Professor. Thank you. So what do we know so far about this monkeypox outbreak? Well, we know that monkeypox has begun to spread in populations in Europe and North America and Australia and in other parts of the world. And this is unlike what it's been doing in West Africa, where it's not been spreading between populations. It's usually in West Africa, a disease which comes to humans from some animal reservoir unidentified at present in nature. And so we're seeing that amplification of transmission is occurring in countries outside of Africa. Are we sure that this is new? In other words, is there any chance that events like this have been happening under the radar in previous years and only because we're more vigilant now we're actually sort of picking it up? Well, that could be one of the hypotheses, but it would be wrong to say that's what's been happening. It requires much more uh, understanding and research especially genomic research to understand where this virus might have come from and, and, and actually how long it's been in populations in Europe or, or North America or Australia. So what are the kind of most likely hypotheses that you and colleagues are investigating at the moment as to, to what, what might have changed? Well, what's happened is this has gotten into a population which has close physical contact because transmission mainly occurs from a sore or a lesion on a person who's infected to a person who's not infected by physical contact with that lesion. So if, for example, someone not infected touches um, a monkeypox sore on a person who is infected, that can transmit to the person uninfected through a microscopic uh, opening in the skin. So it's physical contact that is the major way in which this infection is transferred from one person to another. 
And is there any kind of, I guess, yeah, hypothesis as to why this might have happened now as opposed to last year or five years ago or 10 years ago? Is there anything new or any explanation why this, this might be occurring now? There really isn't an explanation except that there's been more monkeypox occurring in West Africa in the past few years, or at least more monkeypox identified. But most of that monkeypox is coming from the animal reservoir to humans, not from human to humans spread. But a few years ago in Nigeria, they did identify um, that there was a possibility that some of their transmission could have been by contact in the uh, in the genital area. They actually identified some people who had genital lesions. Now, this would not be a sexually transmitted infection. This would just be um, transmission by close contact of that region from one person to another. But that's only a hypothesis that occurred at that time. There was no proof. Could it be in any way related to vaccination? So there are two sort of theses that I've seen circulating. One is that it's in some way connected to the smallpox vaccine and the fact that that's been diminishing as a percentage. So if, if the smallpox vaccine offered some protection to monkeypox, the percentage of under 50s who are now vaccinated against smallpox is much smaller than it was in previous decades. And that's made us increasingly vulnerable. Is, is that a workable hypothesis? Yes, it's a very important hypothesis because in 1980, when smallpox was certified as eradicated, one of the major concerns was, would monkeypox, and this is the, um, the Central African virus strain, which is much different than the West Africa strain, would that strain replace smallpox? Because it causes a disease very similar uh, in appearance to smallpox. It has a high mortality rate of 10%, and infection is prevented by vaccination. So there was a great concern after eradication that this could possibly replace human smallpox as vaccination coverage decreased because vaccination was stopped in 1980. So what sort of percentage of under 50s are vaccinated against smallpox these days? The people under 50 or under 40 who are vaccinated would be those who are working in laboratories where the monkeypox virus is being studied and some field workers in Africa. But in general, people are not vaccinated against smallpox at present. So the other theory, which I have a feeling you, you will find less credible, but I wanted to put it up against your expertise anyway, is that it could be connected to the COVID vaccine if, if there's some kind of change in immunity to other pathogens affected by the enormous COVID vaccination program, maybe that could have had an impact on the way we respond to other viruses like monkeypox. Well, that's highly unlikely. All vaccination programs are continuing to go on, and none of them have been associated with, with human monkeypox. And the, there's, there's no possibility that that vaccines in use could convert into a monkeypox uh, strain. There's, that's just not a possibility. Let me ask about this sensitive area of the fact that it seems to be mainly spreading in the gay community because it there feels to be a bit of taboo around this in in all sorts of directions and w what are the facts as you understand them at the moment what what percentage of monkeypox cases are gay men or, or men who have sex with men as the new phrase is well right now it's gay men who are being examined and there's increased surveillance looking for disease among them and likely it will be found. What's not occurring though is a look in other populations that might be at risk also. So I think it's it's very uh, unfortunate that people would talk about one community 
as being um, at risk when we need to make sure that we're we're examining all portions of population and understanding where the virus is actually transmitted at present. And as I said, this is an amplification of transmission due to behavior where there's close physical contact, and that physical contact in certain populations is in the genital area. Could be a, a, a sore on the on the thigh, it could be on the penis, it could be anywhere. And and there may be a possibility that this virus also causes lesions that are on the mucous membranes. So we just don't understand enough about it at present to really make any predictions or to really accuse any one population. So does that mean that you think it's plausible that actually it's not especially prevalent in the gay population, it's just that we found it there or that some people say that that community is much more likely to get tested if they see lesions or anything unusual. They're worried about sexually transmitted diseases and so they go to a sexual health clinic whilst heterosexual populations are maybe less worried about that. And therefore it may be that we're finding it in the gay community even though it may be prevalent in other communities and we're not seeing it. Yeah, that's a very important hypothesis in fact. We just need to better understand where it's transmitting and do all we can to stop it. And the good news, if there is good news, is that we can each prevent ourselves from getting infected if we do a risk assessment before we have close physical contact with another person who we feel might have been exposed to human monkeypox. So what is that risk assessment? How, how do we do that? The risk assessment is, do I am I planning to have close physical contact or am I planning to take care of someone who has open skin lesions that could be human monkeypox? So you also worked, obviously, as we said in the introduction, on AIDS. And so are we confident that there is no kind of mechanistic reason why it might be more prevalent in the gay community? There's, because as I understand it, AIDS actually trans transmitted better in a gay sex scenario than it did in heterosexual sex because there was more likely to be blood and, or, or whatever the details were. Is that a plausible situation for monkeypox as well, that they might actually be more risky for the gay community? Well, what's important to understand are two things now. We need to understand if there's an asymptomatic form of the disease, which might be also a form which could be transmitted, that we don't know. And the other important factor to know is what is the course of infection in people who are immunocompromised? Those are very important understandings to gain, and there is research going on, fortunately, to understand this better. What one of the lessons, though, is, is that research done at the time of an outbreak is less effective than research that's done before an outbreak. And there's actually been very little investment in research on monkeypox uh, to date, uh, and hopefully that will now increase because we need to understand the full potential of this virus, both the, the strain in West Africa and the strain in Central Africa. So you're not uh, concerned that there is actually some kind of more specific reason why it might be transmitting in the gay community. I, some of the numbers I heard that it might be upwards of 90% of known cases are among gay men seems such a, such a high number that it almost seems beyond coincidental that it would just have happened to be in a particularly gay environment. And I'm just wondering, yeah, it, are you convinced as a, an expert on, on so many of these diseases that there's not something that makes gay men particularly susceptible? No, I think what's happened is that 
the virus has entered a population which, because of behavior, is amplifying transmission. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And when transmission is amplified, then it can continue to spread until people take the appropriate measures. It's not a sexually transmitted infection. It's an infection that's transmitted by close physical contact. And in some instances, the lesions are in an area that is in the genital area where transmission occurs, but it also occurs um, in family clusters and it occurs wherever there's contact with the lesion. Um, I think you might remember the outbreak that occurred in the United States earlier in this century, which occurred from animals imported from West Africa into um, the United States and then in the pet shops in which these animals were caged, there were also prairie dogs who became infected, popular pets in parts of the US, and therefore children were infected as they petted their animals or as they were with their animals. And this didn't cause a major outbreak. This was not an amplifying um, community because they didn't have behavior which permitted it to transmit easily among, from person to person. I guess this is my final question on this theme, but I guess we're sitting here in London, there is a very active heterosexual 
community of young people in London who are, you know, rubbing up against each other an awful lot. Uh, it can't be long if your, your theory is right that, that it's just a coincidence that it happened in the gay community. It can't be long before more cases start being apparent in the heterosexual community then, I guess. This, this would even out over time because there are, there's plenty of close bodily contact going on among heterosexuals also, last time I checked. That's right. And the only thing I can say is that the UK has excellent surveillance systems which will detect if indeed this um, infection is wide, more widespread than currently understood. Looking ahead, one of the big fears that people have is that there's this whole sort of apparatus that has been built up over the COVID pandemic. Everything from the, the modelers and the map makers and the TV experts and the, you know, the social media vig invigilators and everyone else who are sort of ready for the next challenge. Um, and some people fear that when you get a new threat like monkeypox, they're all kind of ready to jump on this as the new thing to start shouting about. Are you worried that that might happen or do you think it will? I think we need to jump on this infection to better understand what's happening and to better understand its potential. Because when there's a new infection in humans, its potential is not understood at the start. And what we're seeing is that this is transmitting from person to person, and we need to be on the lookout and understand this infection and hopefully try to, and try to make sure that it doesn't spread more widely. And what sort of techniques would you recommend to do that? I mean, you mentioned caution about getting involved in a sexual situation if any kind of visible lesions are present. I mean, is there anything else that you're, you're not recommending sort of community-wide abstinence or, or lockdowns absolutely or not. anything like that? No, absolutely not. One can't recommend abstinence. Populations are, are do what they wish to do, but people can protect themselves if they understand that there is an infection that's transmitted by close physical contact and if they do their own risk assessment before they enter into any type of relationship. So is it fair to say you're not worried that this looks like it could be the next COVID? I mean, that's kind of the question that everyone will be having in the back of their minds. Is the behavior of this virus sufficiently different that that kind of global situation is, is much, much less likely? Well, the COVID pandemic has occurred because it's, the virus has spread very easily from the nasal passages to other people. This is an entirely different virus. It's transmitted by physical contact, and it would never have the same manifestations uh, as it does COVID-19. In fact, if you think back, even the SARS outbreak in 2003, which many people will remember, didn't have the same transmissibility as the current coronavirus. So every virus is different. Every virus has its own way of transmitting. And the human monkeypox virus is not transmitted, at least in a major way, by the respiratory system. It's transmitted by close contact between people who are not infected and those who are infected. Which means it will spread slower or be more likely to be containable? That's correct. Hopefully it will spread lower and hopefully it can be contained. There are, if necessary, just like for COVID-19, there are vaccines that could be used, but at present their use would not be warranted on a large scale. Finally, Professor, just to sort of zoom out a bit, because I was keen to talk to you during the, the COVID pandemic also, we didn't actually manage to get in touch, but 
the whole question of the next pandemic, even if it's not monkeypox and this just sort of dissipates as a threat, which is obviously what we hope, there will be at some point a, a, an airborne virus or a strain of flu or something that people get worried about. How are we supposed to calibrate how worried to be? And, and do you have a concern that there is a, a sort of yeah, machinery now that is ready to, to click into action and repeat the, the response that we saw against COVID? Well, what we've seen in the COVID-19 pandemic is that countries want to do it on their own. There was very little global collaboration. Every country was trying different means of stopping infection and of preventing deaths. And gradually, they've all come around to the same strategy of vaccination. What's important moving forward is that governments remember what happened at this pandemic, that they have in place surveillance systems, disease detection systems to detect early and to respond early. And that includes all countries. So, so what's going on right now is a recalibration in countries and a re-examination of global governance mechanisms. Uh, in fact, that's going on this week at the World Health Assembly in Geneva, trying to better understand what the global community and what individual countries must do to better um, be prepared for the future. And certainly at the base of all this are three interlocking functions. One is strong public health, the ability to detect and rapidly respond to epidemics that could become pandemics. The second is resilient health systems to be able to take care of both people who are infected by the pandemic and also those who require um, routine care. And the third is making sure that our populations are more healthy so that those comorbidities and risk factors that have permitted um, this high number of deaths in certain populations can be eliminated. So three interlocking functions, healthy populations, strong, resilient health care, and strong public health are the way forward. Plus, more equitable distribution of the needs for all countries um, as they prepare. What you're referring to there, I think, is this potential uh, treaty or a pandemic treaty that the World Health Organization is coordinating. Um, do you understand why some people are also concerned about that, that it, there might be too much of a, a devolution upwards of, of powers of national governments to a kind of international response that local communities might not actually support. Do, do you understand people's concerns around that? Yes, because it's clear in this COVID pandemic that countries did not want to give up their sovereignty. They wanted to make sure that they were in charge of the pandemic response. That will certainly be an, an important factor in the negotiations if a treaty is finally decided. And, and that treaty may take quite a while to develop. But some of the ways that that treaty can help is by having an agreement of all countries that they will share data early on in a pandemic, such as this, has happened early in this pandemic, and other, other information that's vital um, for um, a global community to work together um, on a pandemic in the future. So you see it more of a, as an information sharing tool rather than a kind of top-down decision-making function. So people shouldn't worry that we're suddenly going to get Dr. Tedros saying, right, lockdowns everywhere and everyone will have to sort of obey that. I think that countries would never give up their sovereignty and development of a treaty, but they would want it to provide an environment 
where they can have the necessary information and knowledge that they need, plus more equitable, equitable distribution of the requirements for pandemic preparedness and control. Final question for you, Professor. You, you've been involved with the World Health Organization for many years. You're no longer, as I understand it, formally involved with them. How critical do you find yourself of that organization's performance over the past few years that during this COVID pandemic? Clearly, some blunders were made, and maybe that's inevitable during a, a pandemic of this nature. Do you feel they performed well, or do you think people are right to be critical? Well, I think the jury is still out on how the World Health Organization performed during this pandemic. What I what I can say, though, is that the, the WHO has two arms, really. It has a political arm, which is what's going on right now with the World Health Assembly, when ministers of health are together deciding on priorities and, and discussing um, issues that are important politically. And then there's a technical arm which provides guidance to countries. And that technical arm has been functioning during the COVID pandemic and been providing evidence-based information. So, you know, I think the jury's still out on WHO, but until there's something that could replace it, it's a vital, um, vital organization for the world. Professor Heyman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Professor David Heyman from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine telling us what he knows at the moment about monkeypox and a little bit at the end there about the World Health Organization and the distinction between the political and technical arms, which sounded quite interesting. Thanks to him and thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.